Welcome to In It Together, a podcast for white allies. I'm Allison Trena here with Tamir Novotny, and we're here to work through the guilt, shame, and fear that prevent us from showing up in solidarity with people of color for our shared liberation. So our last few episodes have focused on the forces that keep us inactive around racial justice allyship. And today, Tamir and I are going to look at moving from inaction to action with an emphasis on local organizing. So Tamir and I were talking about, you know, what's so important, what's valuable about local organizing as opposed to organizing in other ways or taking other kinds of anti-racist action. And we want to share that local organizing is just one example of what allyship can look like, but it's an important one because a lot of times we see what needs to be changed in the world at a very large scale. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed by that and to get stuck in inaction. And when we get involved in more localized efforts to change something, we can counter that overwhelm. And it's actually often more likely that we're going to actually see the tangible results of our organizing efforts at a local level than we might at like a national level, for example. And in thinking about this, I was thinking about how reparations for Black Americans is really a great example of this. Like it's a huge issue, one that desperately needs to be addressed. It's long overdue. And lawmakers at the federal level have resisted even looking at how to proceed on reparations for decades. Um, There's a bill called H.R. 40. You may have heard of it. It's focused on just creating a commission to develop and study reparations proposals. And it was first introduced in 1989. And it's been introduced in almost every single legislative session since then, between 1989 and now. And it's died in committee every single session until last year, where for the first time it cleared committee and headed to the House floor. So this alone has been over a 30-year-long process to even get approval to create a commission to look at reparations, let alone actually do reparations, do anything about it. And like, should we support this bill? Absolutely. Like, and if, you know, if we're potentially waiting, we're going to be waiting a really long time for it to actually amount to reparations for Black Americans. Yeah, it's going to take a really long time. And so I feel like this situation really emphasizes the need for locally organized community-based solutions for issues like this. Uh, There have been multiple small-scale reparations projects and reparations projects at the city level that have been created and that have been enacted. And yeah, so, you know, I want to be clear that reparations at that scale isn't truly reparations from our government, but these efforts can absolutely make a difference in the lives of Black people in this country on a real, tangible, day-to-day basis. And in addition to kind of countering the overwhelm and being able to see more tangible results locally, organizing locally can give us a chance to build relationships with other people in our community who share our values and who share a desire to see change happen in a specific way or in a specific issue. And it has the potential to create a network of collective care that really extends beyond our current networks that, you know, are in place within our workplaces and our family and our friend groups. Um, and can create a network across social identity that is, you know, I think valuable for all of us. Tamir, what do you think about local organizing and allyship and and why we organize locally as a part of our allyship? Mm. So I have a a few different thoughts on this. First, uh, vibing off what you were saying, you know, one thing I learned early in my career is that local organizing and local policy often trickle up to the federal level, like for something really massive and sweeping to be adopted. There has, there sometimes has to be 
a groundswell of support and sort of like proof of concept. Not only that, but also the organizing that builds political will, you know, across a wide enough area that power can actually be leveraged at the national level, right? Yeah. And it's happened with civil rights. It's happened with economic policy. Um, it happens in a lot of different ways. And uh, federal officials often look to states and localities as laboratories for this. Um, so it's valuable well, for the sake of like creating templates for what's possible, which is harder to implement at a national level, and also for building the political power that puts enough pressure on Congress to actually enact a reparations um, commission or actually enact reparations policies without even doing a commission. Right? Mm. Um, so that's thing number one. Thing number two for me personally, like I feel like I have to do local because as much as I love theory, like when I'm in front of people, sometimes theory is useful, but you kind of can't bullshit your way out of local. You know what I mean? <laughs> like local is where systems of oppression meet people where they live. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it happens at work. Being an ally at work is important. Yes, it's reflected in national policy and affecting national policy is important. But it's like, for me, when I'm, when I'm sitting across from a group of people dealing with real organizations, with real constraints, like at that, it just feels more real to me. And it's like, mm -hmm. for me, it feels essential to my being legitimate as an ally. I'm really excited to get coached on this later in this episode because mm -hmm. it's a, a part of my practice that feels really underdeveloped. Um, mm -hmm. But that feels... Um, um, super duper important to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Just that kind of what happens in localities can serve as a model to influence what happens at these larger levels, the federal mm -hmm. level, national level. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought yeah. that up. You know, the other thing, if I could just say this quickly, like I'd say I'm probably like a coastal elite on sabbatical, <laughs> which is not something I'm proud of, but you know, like I have a graduate degree. I spent the first, you know, 13 years of my like career with people who like go to Demos and do all that stuff. Mm. And you know, it's like, I live in a lunch pail town, you mm. know, like it's largely working class. Um, and just organizing looks different. Like my next door neighbor has a flag on his truck that says, fuck Biden and fuck you if you voted for him. And that's very different from like trying to work with professionals with graduate degrees to like change the language in a public statement or like shift an HR policy. And mm -hmm. that's why I say like, you know, theory and practice, like they're two different spheres and they're both really important. And I feel like if I'm too disconnected from the local, it allows me to settle too much into theory and in some ways in inaction. Mm, mm. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, the local context in which you and I are living and working are very different, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you named that. Like I'm in the Bay area. I'm doing a lot of the work that you just named of like working with white folks with graduate degrees who are changing language around their policies and their organizations and doing a lot of work in philanthropy with, with wealthy white folks. So yeah, I feel like between the two of us, we've got two really interesting different contexts in which we're doing this work. Yeah. And your context in the Bay is so funny because like the right hates your region so much and they love to point to you as an example of like wokeness we're on a muck, which is like, I can't wait to do an episode with you about all the like whitewash narratives about how wokeness is the problem mm. as opposed to like our skill in holding like consciousness is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you get to work with coastal elites in your local work. <laughs> I get to work yeah, with retired to coastal elites in my work. And not to mention the area that I mean isn't actually that progressive. We just rec recalled uh, District Attorney Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, who was yeah. very, in many ways, very progressive for a DA. Mm -hmm. uh, it just got recalled, and so there's, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's irony there about how how truly progressive or not progressive yeah. 
there he is. Yes. And there was a really good op-ed in the New York times of all places this morning about how like people are using that as a way of saying voters are rebuking wokeness, but in fact, police reform and abolition won political victories across California in that same election. So mm, that narrative yeah. is like a narrative of convenience mm-hmm. with a lot of nuance. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So now uh, we get to do the fun part. <laughs> But it may be a little bit nerve wracking. So Allison and I are both certified professional coaches. We were trained in the same program. Allison was in fact my coach when we went through the program and we had always wanted to do live coaching on the show. And so in the spirit of accountability, walking the talk, we're going to start with ourselves and we're both looking to plug in more. You've heard us talk about this in previous episodes, plug in more locally, really have more of a sort of steady diet of action. Um, and we've each faced sort of different obstacles, internal and external to doing that. And so we are going to coach each other for about 15 minutes each, 10, 15 minutes each, um, to help us get more clarity. And I want to say a little something about our coaching approach, both to frame this and for folks who might want to get live coached by us in future episodes, right? The way that our coaching practice is grounded is that we believe that the client has the answers, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're coaching each other, it is with an unwavering belief in our own inherent worthiness, inner wisdom, courage, grace, resourcefulness, we believe that much more is possible than any of us can imagine. Mm. Um, and our goal in coaching each other is really to tap into that and dissolve barriers to it in the light of our attention. Mm. Mm. Thank you for saying that, Tamir. And since I'm going to be coaching you first, I'm curious if you have anything you want to share about your boundaries, about the consent you want to offer me as your coach, just anything that would help me coach you effectively. Yeah. So I trust you super deeply. I think the boundaries are less things that I need for you and more things that I need for me. Um, because normally in coaching, one can be really unfiltered about people and organizations that we're in relationship with, Mm. and this is public, right? So, um, I want to be both open because I think that's important and somewhat disciplined. Um, because the last thing I want to do is cast dispersions on people or organizations that I really respect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're going to be maintaining some confidentiality more so than you would in a one-on-one private coaching session. Confidentiality. There there are places where I'll be measured or, um, bigger than I would be otherwise. Mm, Great. That works. That works for me. I'm going to set a little timer for a little more than 10 minutes just so I can, because I know I'll lose track of time. Um, right. So Tamir, talk to me. I know you want some coaching around how to show up in this new chapter of your local organizing, a relatively new locale that you've moved to. Tell me what's yeah. what's up for you around that. So there's two related strains, right? One is I'm really trying to build a personal practice. Um, and I want to do that systemically and with rigor, systematically, I should say. Mm. Um So like, I do want to put myself to highest and best use and I don't want to be precious at the same time. Like, Mm. you know, I'm perfectly happy to make phone calls and door knock or whatever else. And also I bring a skill set. What I'm finding is that it's taking me a long time to integrate here into the justice ecosystem Mm. in a way that I'm not used to. Mm. And I am blending into some frustrations that I have been feeling across my organizing life, professional and personal, um, where I feel like I have put too much pressure on myself to work in partnership in ways that actually burden the partnerships. 
Hmm. Um, and lead some emotional energy to come out in the way that I show up that is potentially harmful, can undermine the work. Um, and does it's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't belong there. It's misaligned. Mm-hmm. Thanks for giving me that context. And it feels like from that, we could go in a couple different directions. So I heard that, yeah, it's taking longer than you're used to, um, to kind of integrate into the justice ecosystem of this new place that you're in. It, it sounds like with that's coming some frustration. And then I'm hearing this other path around, like, how are you in partnership in ways that are less burdensome to your partners? And there are probably many paths beyond that, but yeah, where, where do you want to go? I think that's part of it on that last part, but part of it is also like, what can I do on my own? And part of the root of the frustration, and I, I told you before we started recording, I felt like I'm cheating because I just talked about this with my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Coaching and therapy, by the way, listeners, great combination, highly recommend. Um, and, uh, you know, I was saying that part of me hasn't allowed myself to really put my own name on things by myself out of a fear or a feeling that I don't, like I shouldn't because my work is in, like inextricably tainted from my own whiteness and my own manness mm, mm. as opposed to saying like, and a resistance to being like, as a white person, the only thing I should be able to do is work with white people. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and in, in keeping with what we've been talking about on the pod, like I want to have, I want to move from fragility to rigor around that. Right. Like what can mm-hmm. I own? Like, what does it make sense for me to actually do myself? Mm. And also I've talked about this with some of my collaborators, like my collaborators are not beards, right. That like I slap their name on my own work mm. for, for cover, like that's tokenizing and it's nonsense. And so like, you know, what are the things that we share and what am I really driving and how do I own that in a way that's actually better for the partnerships and mm. better for the work. So I don't want to go too far into that in my professional life because that's not the focus of the pod or the coaching, but it mm. feels relevant because like, you know, in surge showing up for racial justice, one of the values is like, we don't wait to be told what to do, right? Like we're not like you and I have enough analysis and enough like training and study and knowledge under our belts that like, I don't need there to be an organization led by a person of color to tell me to go do a certain thing if nobody's doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. I could potentially go to some of those organizations and say, Hey, I'm seeing this as an issue in my town. I think something needs to be done. What do you think? What's yeah. already happening? Right. Yeah, That's totally a fine. Different, a different thing. It's totally yeah. different, right? And like, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to put pressure on the relationship. Like I want the relationships to develop on their own time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm really excited um, for Juneteenth this year because like there's a local org that's hosting an event and I finally got to go and meet people I've been wanting to meet since I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I feel like those relationships are just starting to develop and it could still take years, right? Yeah. And if I think about it from a seven generations framework, like, this work takes a long time and it is not the job of the social justice ecosystem here locally to make me feel like I'm being useful out of a sense of urgency. Mm. Of course, the work is still urgent and that's the balance, right? Yeah. So Tamir, you've shared, I want to just interject, like you've shared yeah. so much and I hear so much like feeling coming up and like desire to like be effective in your, in your relationships, in your organizing relationships and your local allyship I hear just an understanding of like some of the limitations of like, yeah, this is going to take time and like you're starting this, but you know, this is a long journey and yeah, I guess I'm just wondering where, what question we want to hone in on. Mm. Mm. I'm a lot (laughs) y'all. This is probably very familiar to Allison having been my coach. This is like 
<laughs> my, it's a good a lot. I just want to be able to support you as your coach in like, what's yeah. like the, like the base, you know, what's the bottom line for us? Yeah. I think the bottom line is like, how do I want to approach local engagement? Like I'm very clear that I have like a principle, which is like, just show up. So if something mm-hmm. happens and I can get there and I'm not going to like, you know, yesterday there was an accident a few towns over, but it was like an hour plus drive and I just, I wasn't physically up for it. So I just decided mm-hmm. not to go. That mm-hmm. feels fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a privilege thing. That's like, I might not get home safely if I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Juneteenth things, group meetings, if I can get the information and I'm welcome there. It's like, go to whatever I can. And that's something we talked about before. I feel like I'm following through on that. While I'm doing that, I'm actively like, I'm doing my own ecosystems analysis. I was reading Barbara Love's uh, Liberatory Consciousness Framework yesterday. And one of the things that she talks about in that is that for every one of us, we have a responsibility to both be taking action and theorizing at the same time, like coming to our own conclusions. What you said about discernment in our first episode, like, coming to our own conclusions about what we believe and what's happening in the world and what our role is. Yep. And so like, that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. And I think I need to allow myself to treat that as part of the work, even though part of me feels like, you know, one of the knocks on white folks as allies is that we love theory too much and practice too little. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, there's definitely some truth to that. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to use like study and theory crafting and stuff as an out. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, this is a different ecosystem. I grew up in New York City. The ecosystem there is incredibly large because there's a huge population. It's much more diverse than here. And it's mm-hmm. really, really well-funded. Mm. Well, I mean, individual organizations are often not well-funded, but like there's money, right? Mm-hmm. And so like- and there are lots of opportunities to plug in from what I know what you've shared. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not trying to say that the ecosystem is better or worse, but like there's just, it's just- it's different. Like I come from a place where like you sign up for a meeting and you get calls and text messages saying, can you be there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're not there, like, Hey, like you good, like what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I have yet to encounter that kind of base building here, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, I just, I want to be patient, right? Because again, nobody owes me anything. Yeah. Right? And it's yeah. like really important to me not to show up entitled. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I am working okay. on. Sorry, before go ahead. We, before you jump into that, yeah. I just want to reflect what I heard back from kind of the bottom line question of mm-hmm. how do I want to approach local engagement? I heard actually a bunch of really, I think, awesome strategies that are already serving you well and are going to serve you well. And what I heard was that you're just going to show up when you have the capacity and, and recognize the privilege that's within that choice. Like, is it actually capacity or is it comfort to mm-hmm. show up or not show up? That's right. You're going to go to whatever you can, just kind of cast a wide net of where you're showing up. Mm-hmm. You're going to continue to practice discernment around, you know, around theory, around like what efforts you're going to support, what efforts perhaps aren't the right fit for you. And you're going to be patient because you want to continue to not show up entitled. You know that you're not owed mm-hmm. anything. How does all that yeah. land on you as like approaches for local engagement? It's good. And I need to name one more, it's, which mm. is really important, which is that I'm really like, I'm really going to be working on confronting anti-blackness within me as I do this. It's mm. like, there's, there's one organization in town that does a lot of this work in, in the County really. And they're black led. And as I'm like, as I do ecosystem mapping, this is part of my training, right? I'm like, what are the strengths of different folks? Like where are their capacity issues? 
um, where are things maybe not functioning as optimally as they could and what's going on. And it is just so easy for anti-blackness to seep into my analysis of that. And mm. so like, I'm putting myself on notice about it really to say like, when I have, like when I'm sort of doing this work, I wanna really be rigorous with myself about saying like, what is the narrative and what's the evidence? Mm. Because mm. like, I, I truly believe in the leadership of that organization. I believe in black leadership. I believe in BIPOC leadership. Mm. And so like, how do I make sure that I am holding myself accountable for confronting those internalized scripts mm. so that I'm truly honoring um, the people who I'm building community with as I show up. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts on how you want to hold yourself accountable for mm -hmm. that, those things? Yeah, I think I've done enough already in terms of like narratives that are in my head that I want to write them down and sort of just evaluate them for anti-blackness. Cause I, I feel like I know enough about narrative, like anti-black narratives in like a professional and organizing context mm -hmm. that can be like, where are these showing up? Mm. And like, I just want to check in with myself periodically as I'm like doing this work, whether I'm writing it down or talking to people about it and just mm. like keep calling that question. Mm. And then I guess the flip side of that, which I'm just starting to learn more about is like, what does it look like to both confront anti-blackness and live pro-blackness? Mm. Right. Mm. And like how in the way that I'm showing up, am I truly honoring black leadership? Um, both in terms of like individual relationships, the way that I show up in space, um, the places where I contribute or offer thoughts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. How does it feel to be sharing all of these potential approaches and adding to that? You added a couple. Awkward because there are locals who listen to this. Um, and so I, I hope that people who hear this, you know, that it's like, oh, wow, somebody's actually owning that because <laughs> mm. it's not like it doesn't happen. It certainly yeah. feels awkward. Um, but it's, I feel less pressure to like make things happen. Mm. And like, I was, I was just having like a, a conversation with a, a young professional yesterday who got connected through an old colleague of mine. We were talking about like slow cultivation and the value of slow cultivation. Like early in my career, I pushed so hard to advance and I worked all the time, you know, did the work of two people. I was an asshole. Mm. Like I put way too much into, into production and way too little into relationships and like attention to my presence and the quality of my presence. Mm. And like I did pretty well for myself and did a good amount of harm in that process. Mm. And I'm not going to replicate that here because I have an ego investment in believing that I'm doing something. Mm. Mm. But the flip side of that is these issues are urgent, even if in like the public discourse, some of them are less visible than others. Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's the tension I'm not quite sure how to handle. Also, I'm looking at time. I think we may have gone more than 15 minutes. So we've gone 12. I just, yeah, oh, my nice. timer just, it just told me. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask that, yeah, I'm going to ask that like this question of urgency is so important and the tension of like, these things are urgent, but oftentimes when we act from urgency, it can result in causing harm. Um, I want to like bookmark that to either do some coaching or just have a conversation about in the future. Cause I think so many folks would relate to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I want to take us to how you want to move to action around how you want to approach local engagement. So mm -hmm. you came up with a bunch of strategies, you know, it's yeah. Like where, yeah. where do you want to go with those? So my action commitment to you and to our listeners is I'm going to do that list. I don't know if I am willing to like publish it 
that mm-hmm. scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. I will. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll have to. I'll have to look at it first and see how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I'm going to this thing in Pittsfield for Juneteenth on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to that. And like, I want to give some more thought to like what it means to show up to a like in a way for that that is pro black but not performative. Mm-hmm. I'm just capturing this, capturing yeah. these commitments so I can follow up with you on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another thing I might do is like, there's a, an online platform for an org that I've just started like building a relationship with. And I think I might just like introduce myself. Mm, mm. So like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, really looking forward to being useful. And if there are, you know, I'd love to connect with anybody here one-on-one. And if there are places that you think I might be useful, I'd love recommendations and advice. Cool. How did those commitments land on you now that you've kind of come up with them and shared them out loud? They feel good and they feel measured. Ooh, awesome. I like that. And I'll definitely follow up with you because we're going to keep doing this, <laughs> keep having these conversations and doing this show together. So yeah, I, I would yeah. love to, yeah, hear more about how all these things go. Yeah. Can I just express some gratitude for a second? Sure. It's like, I'm so grateful that people are listening to this and finding value in it. And if no one besides us ever listened to an episode of this. I'd be grateful for doing it because it's helped me become so much more rigorous in my practice and Mm. healthier in my practice. I just want to take that gratitude in. Thank you so much for saying that. And that I, I feel similarly, like it's great that folks are listening and, you know, gaining stuff from this, but yeah, I think it's really upping kind of my, yeah, my own rigor around Mm -hmm. even understanding what allyship means to me and Mm -hmm. how I'm living it out. So yes, right back at you. Thank you. You want to take a moment, take a breath Yeah. (laughs) between between coaching. (laughs) How was that for you? I know you just offered some gratitude, but just want to check and see. So good. Mm. Really good. Mm. Good. Mm. I think it's fun to coach you. So it was good for me too as a coach. I'm like, yeah. The first coach I ever had who I regret hiring told me that coaching me was like, was like being pushed against a brick wall. And in fairness, I was very, very intense. And that's just a part of me. Yeah. Like never hire a psychoanalyst to be your coach. (laughs) Or someone who feels that way about coaching you. Like. You know, that you never know? occurred to me, but thank you. I yeah. should have walked the fuck out. Like, what What do you mean? Yeah, that doesn't have to, that doesn't sound like a right fit for either party to me. I'm so rude. <laughs> oh. Are we ready to switch roles? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to set a timer for yourself? Yeah. Um, maybe one second. I just set the timer for like about 12 minutes as a reference and knowing that we'd good. take a couple minutes to wrap up after. Mm-hmm. You're so good. <laughs> um, okay. So um, what would be helpful as we get ready to shift into this part of the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think too about like consent and boundaries and like, I also mm-hmm. trust you implicitly. We've, yeah, you've coached me a bit here and there. So I kind of, yeah, I know how this is potentially going to go and 
I, I don't think I have any specifically that I would name. I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. that anything's going to come up for me around confidentiality around this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I'm good with just doing it. <laughs> so I have a, a question for you about boundaries, which is, okay. um, if something comes up where you say, I don't want to go there, do you want me to just leave that and go somewhere else? Or do I have your permission to ask, like, can you tell me what's behind that resistance? Mm. Yeah, you can ask me that. That would feel okay. okay. Yeah. And if it, at that point you say, I'm really not there, I will uh, we cool. can shift. Drop it. Yeah. Got it. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for checking in on that. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, how do you want to use this time? Mm. Well, I also want coaching around plugging in locally and doing local organizing, um, Mm -hmm. which I haven't done a lot of. Um, I have done little bits and pieces and like at different points, like plugged into different orgs, but for different reasons, didn't continue that work. Um, and yeah, through some of our conversations and just things outside of our conversations, like I do really want and finding, yeah, I really feel like it's important for me to plug in locally, um, organizing for racial justice and I haven't done it. I haven't done that. Like I've taken baby steps and like moved towards a little bit, but have not really plugged in, um, to an organization. And yeah, I would just love some coaching around like, what's, I don't know. I don't know what's going to get me there. I'm not sure what's Mm -hmm. like quite in the way. Um, yeah. What's at stake for you in plugging in? Ooh, that's such a good, that's such a powerful opening question. When I think about times when I've like tried to plug in or have like sort of plugged in in the past, what was at stake for me was feeling like coming to find out that I was like plugging into an organization that like, wasn't actually doing a whole lot. Wasn't actually like doing work that felt, um, I mean, they were like doing things, they were doing some things, but like the relationship between the amount of time I was spending and like the output of like what they were doing felt really off. felt like spending a lot of time not doing a whole lot. (laughs) Mm. So I think what was at stake for me there was investing in an organization that I didn't actually think was doing a whole lot in the, you know, like to to change the material conditions for, for folks of color in the community um, and was sucking up a ton of my time. Um, so there's like, I guess, two things at stake, like kind of the, yeah, like community impact and like personal impact. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would happen for you if you didn't plug in at all? Mm. It feels like something is missing, like currently not being plugged in. It feels like like there are ways that I'm showing up as an ally in other parts of my life, but like the local locally, it's, it's not there. It feels like I'm not contributing in a way that I could be contributing and like, yeah, contributing to change that needs to be made locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it were two years from now, and we're having a follow-up conversation with about this. 
Mm. And your local organizing has evolved beyond your wildest dreams. Mm. What could that look like for you? I love that question. I haven't like thought, I haven't visioned into that. I haven't like dreamed into that. Um, mm. I think it would look like making, being a part of making significant changes in the community that I'm in um, to change the material conditions for folks of color. Um, yeah, it would look like, yeah, being woven, woven into kind of that community of care that I referenced, you know, being a part of a community of care in my broader community and like contributing to that and honestly benefiting from that too, which feels weird to say. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about just having said that, but like, what what do you mean when you say it? I think feeling less isolated in the community that I'm in, feeling more like in relationship with folks in the community that I'm in, folks that I'm not currently in relationship with. Um, So that feels like a benefit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you talked before about what's at stake and you Mm -hmm. talked about a bad experience you had before. What scares you about getting back into it? Mm. Mm. Or maybe a broader way of asking this, what do you feel when you imagine yourself taking that next step? Mm. Yeah. That's thanks for that reframe. Cause I don't know that anything like scares me, but I definitely have feelings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think one, one feeling that comes up is like kind of, you know, general, like new kid on the block nervousness or like kind of unsure of like how it will be right. And like, how, like, will there be a place for me? Like what, you know, is, is there a way that I can contribute meaningfully? Like, will I be accepted by this group or, you know, so there's some of the like new kid on the block, like kind of nervousness. Um, I think a little bit of overwhelm because yeah, like being in the Bay area, there are a lot of places I could plug in. There's no lack of places to, you know, having options is not the issue. Um, so that actually does bring up a little bit of overwhelm of like, well, where, like, where do, where is the place? Where's the place that would be like the best use of my skills that are addressing a need mm-hmm. in like really in ways that feel tangible and meaningful. Yeah. Um, not just for me, obviously, but for like the community, you know, like for the needs that have been stated by the community. So yeah, so a little nervousness, a little overwhelm. Curious, there's definitely some curiosity, like a feeling of curiosity of like, huh, like I wonder where I could plug in and where I could contribute that maybe I don't even know about right now, you know, like what's, yeah. Like what is, what is possible that maybe I'm not even aware of? I think those are the main feelings that come up. What could happen if you followed that curiosity? Mm, mm. Mm. I mean, I'd probably learn more about what's out there because I feel like the natural place for that curiosity is just to explore what are the opportunities to plug in? Um, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like 
that could actually, that could actually lead to more kind of overwhelm or feeling like, okay, there are like a bunch of places. So like, how do I, where do I, (laughs) who do I reach out to? Like, where do you know, how do I start that plugging in process? Yeah. You know, when I, when I hear you talk about overwhelm, I get this image in my head that's somewhere between like a totally tangled knot and like, you know, pig pen from, uh, yeah. Charlie Brown, like the cloud of <laughs> the dust cloud. That follows from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> cloud of dust. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think those, either of those images are like actually fairly, yeah, fairly accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what does that overwhelm feel like in your body? I mean, it's like a heaviness in the pit of my stomach. Mm-hmm. I just kind of breathed into that of like, oh, yeah. And I think there's a part of me and I like, oh, hate to admit this, but I imagine folks who are listening might be able to relate. Like, it feels like one more thing, right? And like mm-hmm. <laughs> this week specifically in my life is like a very hectic time, but like, you know, like we've got a lot, we've got a lot of different things going on as, as all of us yeah. do, no more, no more or less, but kind of the average mm-hmm. lot of things going on and yeah. it feels like, Oh, it's like one more thing to figure out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to feel like that. Right. Like I want it to feel like something I'm like excited about and want to plug into and like, that would feel yeah. like generative and additive. Um, but it like at the kind of at this outset point, it feels mm-hmm. more like, Oh, one more thing. Yeah. What's like, I have this intuition that there's a narrative underneath that too. Mm. It's hard for me to ask this as, as a, a question, but I think of it as like energy scarcity, mm. mm-hmm. like in our, in our drive to feel like we're doing enough, we're afraid that we actually don't have enough. Mm. How does mm. that land for you? Mm. I want to sit with that for a second. We don't have enough. Yeah. I think that does land. I think that does land. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like my kind of concern about like investing energy in like the quote unquote wrong place, like in a place Mm -hmm. that like, isn't ultimately a fit isn't, I don't actually feel like is doing value, like valuable work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where does, where does white supremacy culture show up in all of this? Oh my God, everywhere in like, in the privilege, like I hear myself talking and in like the privilege of like choosing where I want to spend my time and energy, choosing how much time and energy I want to spend. Um, in my assessment that like the work that's being done isn't good work or work that is valuable. Um, which like goes back to discernment, which is tricky. Cause I feel like I do kind of stand by that assessment. <laughs> like mm-hmm. There's a piece that comes up around like who, wh- yeah. how do I even get to decide like what is good or valuable work to be done? So for sure. A hundred percent. That's a good check, right? Mm-hmm. Like we should be asking ourselves that question. Like what gives, what gives me the right to be doing an ecosystem analysis of this place I just moved. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But like, let's, we, we talked about this before that like, there's almost like this like self-annihilating judgment impulse mm. when we assess our own allyship. Mm. Let's just accept that that's there. There are rigorous questions. I want to invite us to set that to the side for a second. Mm. Like, I was just like, like, where else is white supremacy culture showing up and making this hard? Hmm. I'm not sure. Do you see plate? Like, I mean, you're coaching me. Like, do you see places that it's showing up that I'm not seeing? 
I have, I have thoughts on this and I'm curious if they land for you. Like there's something, I was reading something the other day about mutual aid and like black history is a mutual aid and how like for many folks, it was never really an option to do anything else Mm. and how white dominant Mm. culture and like racial capitalism condition us to say that like, we have to sustain ourselves. Like we have to do these things for ourselves. And so we have to like hoard wealth. We call it building wealth, but you could argue it's also hoarding wealth. Yeah. You know, we have to make sure we can meet all our own expenses. And there is no net. There's yeah. no meaningful safety net unless we're fortunate enough to have families with resources. And even then it's not always reliable, right? To catch yep. us if we fall. And like that is emotionally and physically consuming. Mm, right. Yeah. And so like for me, it's it's natural for us to be worn out and tired and scared about what more yeah. we can do. But also like I asked myself, like, one, again, I want to know how that lands for you, but two, like, what, what else is possible? Like, is there a way mm. that we can change the way that we hold this mm. that makes it more natural for us to move into a more collective formation, right? And to invite yeah. what is nourishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, I think a w- way to hold it is around, like, kind of mutual interest, you know, mm-hmm. like, is around, like, moving towards embracing that, that like, that this is something that could be life-giving for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> which in fact moves me away from the like kind of white savior, white martyr, mm-hmm. you know, like narrative, I guess of like, I'm doing this for you. Like I am being an ally to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really investing some and some of that energy away away from that narrative but into like this is mutually sustaining yeah which i feel like i get tripped up on too where like like that this shouldn't be about me that like it is like mutual interest like white centering in some way and like i want to believe that it's not but like i think that's what comes up for me is like is there yeah is there something wrong about or, or harmful um, to people of color about me focusing in some way on like how local organizing can benefit me or like, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what about local organizing is vital to your survival? Yeah. Being a part like of a network of care, being a part of a, a broadest pot, like, I want myself and everyone to be a part of as broad of a network of supportive relationships in the community as possible. Right. So that when like shit goes down, like that we can support each other and have each other's backs and like band together around things that matter to us, you know? So yeah, that feels supportive. Potentially being a part of that or building that feels supportive to me. Yeah. So what do you want to do with this? <laughs> I'm like, are we at time yet? Is it- <laughs> we're, we're, we're close. Otherwise uh, I want to spend more time. I'd want to spend more time with like <laughs> what's happening in you as this is happening. But yeah. yeah. Well, where this has been helpful for me is like calling forth the, like the energy piece and the, like, is there a story around me not having enough energy and like how much of that is like true based on Mm. white supremacist capitalism versus how much of that isn't. And like, are there ways, is there a reframe 
I can make around plugging into local organizing being energy giving for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, kind of brought up towards the end, like the separate question of like, is that white centering or not? And that's like mm-hmm. a sep would be a separate thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm landing on like what's been yeah. helpful about this. Mm-hmm. Even the idea of like, is there a different reframe? Is there a different reframe around in spite of like <laughs> the ways in which white supremacy and capitalism zap our energy and zap our focus mm-hmm. and time? Yeah. Is there a kind of in spite of way to look at this of like, yeah, this could be life-giving. This could be energy-giving. This could be mm-hmm. plugging in locally, could be resourcing me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that at times it won't be exhausting and heartbreaking or even sure. traumatizing because it can be. Yeah, it definitely can be those things. Yeah. 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 Um, but like when I think about, I, I talked about political home in our last, I think it was our last episode and mm-hmm. how like change for philanthropy showed me how solidarity could live. That gives me life now. Mm. Like that does feel vital to my survival because it like helps me understand how I can exist in a way that I can accept mm-hmm. and like literally not al- annihilate myself. Like I say, yeah. that, you know, not, not like, not cavalierly at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you want to put this into action? Mm. Mm. I think I do want to follow some curiosity, some of my curiosity around like where are, yeah, where are some places to plug in and to like notice what's coming up for me energetically as I'm doing that, like noticing like, yeah, like, is it feeling, yeah, is it feeling like my energy is shifting in any way as I'm Mm -hmm. starting to follow that curiosity and see what's, Mm -hmm. what's out there? I think, yeah. Where is your curiosity pulling you right now? Mm. 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 I don't know if I feel super plugged into my curiosity in this moment. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe that's like the pre-step is to like, like I know it's there, but I just don't yeah. feel like plugged into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where or when can you like make a date with your curiosity? Ooh, I love that. Let me pull up my calendar. Where, when can I make my date with my curiosity? Ooh. Ooh, I can, I can do that on Juneteenth. Actually, I can do that on Monday. Ooh, what a great way to use that day. Yeah. Yes. Ah, I'm going to put it on my calendar. Local organizing curiosity date. And I'm going to. Yeah, I'm gonna see. See where my curiosity is in then and where it leads me to looking at mm-hmm. where to plug in locally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the making a date. That's just like maybe I'll go out to coffee or something. Like maybe yeah. <laughs> I'll like make it an actual date. Yeah. Yeah. And like <laughs> I would offer it doesn't like I mean, I there that. should be something that follows that is about following that in the direction of local organizing. But I would say to tap the, the curiosity, doesn't even have to necessarily be about racial justice unless you want it to be mm. as long as you're committed to following it there. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for that kind of permission and expansiveness. Ah. Yeah. That feels complete. That coaching feels complete to me, Tamir. Cool. 
you put a smile on my face, which is more than when I started thinking about this with much more furrowed brow energy. Yeah. You've also had a really shitty week. Like, yeah. (laughs) Things are rough over here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for, for coaching. And you always ask such questions that I just never would think of. And they, Mm. yeah, they give me pause and I appreciate the time to explore that pause during coaching with you. I'm going to stick that on my fridge because I'll tell you folks, that's high praise from a coach to a coach. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. And thanks for kind of following me in the the couple of places that I, Mm -hmm. that I took us to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Yeah. What was that like for you both coaching and then being coached? It took me back to coach training. It took me back to that being a thing that we did a lot in our coach training of like, being in a triad of people, one person coaches, one person is coached and one person's like an observer and then like switching roles pretty rapidly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's not something I've done in a while, but took Mm -hmm. me back to that kind of like beginning coaching place. Yeah. How was it? How was it for you? I mean, I love being coached by you and coaching you is equally joyful. So that was a delight. Mm -hmm. I'm a, a thing that was coming up for me is the tension in like our program, there were some really amazing coaches who were moving it in a more equity focused direction, but our Mm -hmm. coaching program was not built with liberation in mind. And it wasn't, I would say it was not run in a way that embodied a true commitment to liberation. And it now no longer exists in the United States for that reason. There's something that I feel a tension about in, it's like our coaching says, follow the client's life force. Mm. And like curiosity is a beautiful thing right? Mm -hmm. What makes you feel alive is a beautiful thing. And there is what feels like an understandable or fair critique or frustration that I hear expressed towards white people all the time, which is like, why does my liberation have to wait for you to feel happy to do something? Mm -hmm. And like, even naming that, I feel like kind of like violates the coaching because like, Mm -hmm. I know you and Mm -hmm. I have complete faith that like you following that because of the rigor you bring into your practice will lead you someplace really beautiful and impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, there are people who I would not do that with mm-hmm. because I don't know that I have that trust or I would ask, it's like, there would have to be a follow-up where I ask like, so what are you doing with it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still want that follow-up. Like I want yeah, that. Yeah. So please feel free to ask me that, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But like, I feel like this could be a whole other episode around just like coaching white people around whiteness and white supremacy mm-hmm. and allyship. Cause I, I have lots of thoughts on how that looks different from the kind of coaching we were trained in, how it retains a lot of parts of that, but also has some other parts that need to be added. Yeah. I think there's just like the cliche. It's not a, I shouldn't call it a cliche. It's like, you know, the phrase, like we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think of that as we have to build an endurance around doing things that feel really difficult or unpleasant, even when we don't feel the motivation. And that's true. Like in all areas of our lives, right? Like writers, often hate writing, but they love it at the same time. Right. And that's like, people describe writing a novel as hell (laughs) that they do over and over. So like that feels applicable. Not that, not that racial justice work is hell. Um, Mm. There are parts of it that have felt hellish to me at times that we can Mm. talk about another time in like the existential, (laughs) the existentialist episode or whatever. Um, But like, (laughs) I think like, it's gotta be both, right? Like we do need to follow our life force in this because we're also building a life affirming world. And that's part of the point. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't think anybody would say we don't want to, we don't want to 
I don't think people even want to work with white folks who feel like they're just like beating themselves into the ground and that's how they have to show up in order to be good white people. Like that sounds really annoying. Yeah. That sounds but, super obnoxious. <laughs> but like, how can we get good at being like, I feel shitty today. Like, what can I do? In mm-hmm. addition to like, how do I make sure that I'm nourishing myself in this practice? Because if I'm in a space that is not catering to my comfort, which is different, but like not nourishing me where like, I don't feel honored or respected. And we'll talk about that when we do our episode about taking up space. Mm-hmm. Like there's nuance there that I think I'm looking forward to exploring in further detail, but I, I don't want to leave people with the impression that we shouldn't follow our life force in this work because like mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah. it shouldn't be the sole criterion for when we do stuff. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really well put. Yeah. And Sorry it took me a while to get there. <laughs> maybe a place for us to wrap up super well put and yeah (sighs) i do want to say you know we want to encourage folks to use this as a springboard to think about where they can take action locally or where they can get more plugged in Mm -hmm. um we also want to invite folks to throw their hat in the ring to get live coached on this show Mm -hmm. and it'll feel look a lot like what we just did and it can be on really anything that feels related to your allyship. Where do I get started? I'm really struggling with an issue. I'm dealing with some trauma from a past experience. I'm afraid that I'm causing harm. I am causing harm and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in order to do that, send us an email, send us DM a DM on social on media, yeah. on Instagram, uh, in it together allies on Instagram, just like a sentence or two. I'd love to get coached. Um, you know, this is sort of what I'm dealing with. And then we'll follow up with you with more detail about what that looks like and to schedule a time. Awesome. We've got some other things we'll be sharing on social media. And right now we want to encourage you to move some money because we know that one form of allyship that is super important for white people is to move money into the communities of people of color. Um, Mm -hmm. And we would love to suggest you find somebody local, find an organization locally doing racial justice work to move money to and or uh, to move some money to Political Research Associates, which is a progressive think tank devoted to supporting movements uh, that build more just and inclusive democratic society for all of us. Um, political Research Associates, it's politicalresearch.org, and we can also link that in mm-hmm. all of our things <laughs> for you I to just, donate to. I just want to say a quick bit on why we're recommending them. If you've been following the January 6th hearings, you know that there is a scarily close linkage between the prior White House, a lot of current incumbents in the national legislature, and far-right extremist organizing, which is well-resourced and powerful. Um, And PRA works to expose movements, institutions, and ideologies that undermine human rights, and they're just a critical part of the infrastructure that helps progressives organize in order to undermine the right and sort of counterbalance and oppose um, action towards white nationalism, white Christian nationalism, fascism, and other things that really are a threat to all of our survival and perpetuate white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Samira, thank you so much. Thanks for coaching me. Thanks for allowing me to coach you. Let's keep on keeping on. 